Are you an aspiring creative in entertainment, business, fashion, design, or the arts? Do you want to elevate your creative passion project to the next level? Then this show is for you. Whether you want a career in television, film, radio, literature, music, or beyond, Creative Breakthrough will show you how to take your dreams and turn them into reality. This show will not only leave you feeling motivated and inspired, but also provide you real-life tools to pursue the creative journey you have always wanted. I'm your host, creative coach, and chicken wing lover, Shireen Kassab, a.k.a. The Funny Brown Girl. Yes, I have an unhealthy obsession with chicken wings. Now, get ready to flex your creative muscle. Today, Jasmine Darsnick, the New York Times bestselling author, joins us to answer questions on writing your story, developing a portfolio, finding an agent, and much more. Jasmine Darsnick's debut novel, Song of a Captive Bird, is a fictional account of Iran's trailblazing woman poet, Farouk Farouzad. It was selected as a New York Times book review editor's choice, as well as one of the 2018 best books by Vogue, Miss, and Newsweek. Jasmine is also the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Good Daughter, a memoir of my mother's hidden life. Her books have been published and are forthcoming in 17 countries, and her essays have appeared in numerous periodicals, including the New York Times, Washington Post, and Los Angeles Times. Jasmine was born in Tehran, Iran, and came to America when she was five years old. She holds an MFA in fiction from Bennington College and a PhD in English from Princeton University. Now a professor of English and creative writing at California College of the Arts, she lives in the San Francisco Bay Area with her family and is working on a novel set in 1920s San Francisco. What are we waiting for? Let's get started. So one of the questions um, people had was, how often do you write and like for how long and what what's your process to start a book? Like, do you outline the whole thing? Do you do it up front? Do you do it as you go? Well, every project has its own demands and teaches you how to write it, I think. So I can, essays, usually I sit down and I have to write longhand. I'll I'll write in one, you know, one session, I'll sit down and I'll just sort of produce a skeletal outline of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like a fever dream. then Then I just, then I'm only writing that essay for maybe two days and... I'll put it away and come back to it. But there, I, I have not even, you know, a longer essay like the one I wrote for Shonda Land. Um, that was written over a couple of days, you know, but just sort of, you know, hyper, hyper focused work like that. Um, novels, you, you can't really, you can't work like that with a novel, you know. Um, I have, um, you know, usually I'll have for, for, Song of a Captive Bird and the novel I'm working on right now, I I find place very evocative. And if I can, I'll do a lot of research and I find that that, that um, process of imagining a world, of building a world is where I start to think of story. So I don't plot things out with the novels really until I have a, a very... Or, or a pretty fine, fine sense of the world that I'm writing mm-hmm. in. Yeah, it just it just sparks so much for me. The place is 
maybe it's being an immigrant. I mean, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I think maybe there's something about if you're dislocated from your home, I'm very sensitive to environment and places are so evocative for me. I've got a lot of, you know, got a lot of sort of sensitivity about sights and smells and, and that sort of thing. So I find immersing myself in a world really gets my imagination going and that, and that's where the character comes from. Um, sometimes I'll write for, you know, I'll write for every day for, you know, several hours at a time, but then, you know, I'll, my son will get sick or something will happen and I'm not able to write for a couple months. Or I, last year I was in a car accident and I, I could not read for two months. I mean, not only could I not write, but I was unable to read. So, you know, um, Oh, sorry to hear that. Yeah. But, you know, I think always be doing something. I mean, that was a very extreme situation for me, but I couldn't read. I couldn't write, but I listened to stories on tape. Mm -hmm. You know, I did, I did the one thing I could do, you know? And, And so when I was saying about, you know, your mind is your instrument, I think you should always be doing something that's honing your instrument. Um, So even if I'm not working, you know, sitting and I'm not writing, I'm really trying to, uh, to, um, to keep my instrument in good shape by reading really great work or, you know, um, going also, you know, going out to nature is really important to me. I get a lot of ideas when I'm out on hikes or walks, things like that, or going to plays or, you know, that sort of thing. So, um, so, so that's something I'd say now or this summer, cause I'm not teaching. Um, I do as much as I can. I try to treat my writing like a job and I will not schedule anything between the hours of nine and three. So that is the time where I'm at my desk and more and more, I think a lot of us feel <laughs> like I, I really have to shut off all, I use a program called freedom and I, have to shut off all you know social media facebook for me it's really email that kind of gets it ensnares me mm-hmm. so <laughs> so i try to put the phone away i use freedom which disables your internet connection on your i really need to put myself in a straight jacket is what i'm saying to you and i'm there from nine to three and you know it's really you know some days i might get you know a hundred words out and another day i might get a thousand but you know i don't hate myself as much if I do that, you know what I'm saying? If, if I go too long without, without working or at least just showing up, you know, it, it really, it really punctures my morale. You know, I don't feel good about myself if I'm, if I'm not writing. Mm-hmm. Somebody said, um, somebody, I can't remember who said this, but, um, a, a writer who doesn't write is a monster, you know, <laughs> so I sort of, I become monstrous <laughs> if I, if I don't, if I don't at least, you know, try mm-hmm. to show up for it, you know? Um, and then I suppose, you know, if you, for me, it has helped to show, to show my work to someone when I've taken it 90, about 90% of where I I think it needs to go. Then I, I have a friend, um, a a friend, a writer friend, or uh, my husband, or it can be my agent, but there's something about knowing that somebody is waiting to see your work. That's really, really energizing. And that person doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be an agent, but it could be, 
somebody in your writing group or something like that. You know, I think it's, that's been really, really helpful to me is to know I'm not just like writing (laughs) in this very abstract way, you know, because I could, I could, it could take me 30 years, you know, if I didn't feel like somebody's waiting or somebody's going to nag me and say, Hey, you know, what's going on in that room? (laughs) You know, (laughs) you go, you go there for six hours a day. Yeah. So I kind of create these situations or I create relationships that, um, that, that are, they're sort of proxies for a reader. You know, it's my sort of my first attempt at making my work public, you know, they're very generous. They're, they're usually really very, very generous readers, but it makes a lot of difference to have them versus just feeling like I need to read the, I need to write the whole book. And, you know, 10 years later, I'm still writing. Right. So when you start writing the book, do you outline the whole book before you start writing it? Um, so as I was describing my process, I'm just not a linear, mm-hmm. I don't think like that. I think about place first, then comes character. I think character determines plot. For me, it does. Mm-hmm. If I, I have to be interested in the character, uh, this is, you know, there are all sorts of different stories and some are quite plot driven. I, I find that if I don't know my character, I don't know my plot. So I, I spend a lot of time trying to find their motivations, their demons, their, you know, their, their triumphs. I'm really exploring a lot to understand who they are and that will help me find the shape of a story. Mm-hmm. Um, for most, for, for song of a captive bird and, um, the current project, I created synopses okay. for those. Um, and you want, you, you wind up, I think almost inevitably you veer away, but it, has been helpful because I am so resistant to plotting <laughs> to at least have this sort of aversion in two or three pages of the story as it might be in full, right? Just to have a sense of here's more or less where I'm going to start and here's where I want it to go. <clears throat> and here are two, three, four critical junctures that I need to hit mm-hmm. as I move from beginning to end of the book, you know? So that is probably the part of it that takes the longest for me is, is to thinking that through, but it saves me a lot of time on the other end. Um, because I think you can, you know, as I was saying, I think you can just really write for a long time and kind of write your way into the woods for 30 years, you know, and only to find, you know, there is no tension in your story or, you know, Nothing ever happened. Uh, yeah. So it would be really tragic to spend five years and discover that there was no story mm-hmm. in your story. Yeah. So writing, writing a synopsis can help a lot. You know, it's a little, it's a little bit like troubleshooting, you know. And, and do you share that with your agent before you start writing? I do. I do. And she has saved me. I mean, <laughs> when I say I could, I could, I could, you know, write for 10 years only to discover there was no story in my story. Um, you know, showing a good agent or a good, just a good reader, I'd say could, can look at a synopsis and diagnose the fate, fatal <laughs> aspects of it, you know? So in the first, um, you know, in the first iteration of my current project, um, there just wasn't conflict there. There really was not enough conflict to sustain a book length project, you know, and it was really useful for somebody to tell me that early in the process, right? 
before um, before I, I it's for me it's so pain, I'm sure for every writer it's so painful to cut what you think is good writing, you know? So um, I, I have, I keep everything that I wind up cutting and I have fantasies that I'll be able to, you know, publish it somewhere, but, but, oh my God, you know, so if I can spare myself that a little bit by investing some time and thinking out a story, um, that's good. Mm -hmm. So how long on average does it take you to research a project like and really understand like for for example, Song of a Captive Bird, like really understand Iran during that time period? And then how long does it take you to write the book? You know, I think we're writing often about the things that obsess us. Mm -hmm. And it's probably, you know, maybe years, decades, you're obsessed with something. And then it just finds expression in this particular story. So I had been reading about Iran at that time, and I'd read everything. Furuk wrote herself, I'd, I'd read everything that had been written about Farouk, you know, and this is way before I ever thought about writing it. I was just really obsessed with her, you know, and I guess that reaches some sort of critical point where the pressure of all that, you know, you've sort of worked yourself into this state of this intense obsession um, and that sort of, you know, then that expresses itself in this uh, a creative project sometimes, you know. So I probably got a few of those uh, obsessions going at all times, mm-hmm. you know, and they're all, they're not all going to become work, but I mean, it, they're not all going to become books, but, um, I think it's really great. Some going back a little bit, you were asking me advice to give to writers. I mean, I think it's really great to cultivate areas of expertise, areas of uh, just downright uh, obsession, you know, whatever it is for you, mm-hmm. what you're, what, what you would read, what you would investigate, what you would put time in, even if nobody saw any result from it, you know, I mean, you're just, it just is so compelling to you that you're going to do the work anyway. I think it's really good to cultivate those kinds of, um, those kinds of obsessions. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, you know, Song of Captain Bird, I was, I was cultivating that obsession for at least a decade. And then my first book was published. I had to think about the next one and you know of the two or three obsessions that I was cultivating this is the one I chose and then I went deeper into it yeah so um that the process I'd formally the writing where you know we're really talking now about not just becoming inspired or doing the historical research but writing it it took about a year to write Song of a Captive Bird and then about another six to eight months to edit it with an editor. How do you go about finding an agent? Like how, when you decided to write The Good Daughter, like what were the steps mm-hmm. to actually go from writing it to getting it in the bookstore? Okay. So I, uh, I, on the recommendation of my writing teacher, I started looking in the acknowledgement sections of books mm-hmm. and I found that there was a name that was coming up again and again in books that I liked. And I think that that's a really great strategy um, because often if you like a book, that's, that that's a clue that the, the editor and the agent uh, are somehow aligned with who you are as a writer or who you want to be. So that's how I did it. I didn't know anybody in publishing. I did what they call a blind submission. So I got plucked out of the slush pile. (laughs) 
the agency didn't sign me right away because I was not a published writer. I mean, I really had no credits. Mm. And so there was a period of time about, I'd say six to eight months. It was like a courtship. I had, I had to prove myself and I started publishing pieces in the San Francisco Chronicle and then in the LA Times. And every time I'd published something or if I won a prize or I got a fellowship, something like that, I'd always dash off a note <laughs> to the agent. Oh, just thought you might be interested <laughs> to see this, you know, just, just want you to know. And then about eight months of that, um, and I had built up a, you know, a decent number of credits and um and they saw that I was I think agents like to see that you're proactive and you really you're really gonna hustle you know and um and so after that courtship we we then entered into um an agency agreement and so that was I mean it's really it was really wonderful because I did not know how hard it was (laughs) you know I mean it was my ignorance about the publishing world helped me. I think, I think I would have been more daunted if I knew more about how things are, you know, and, and really what the odds are and how, how hard it, how I think I was naive and that helped me mm-hmm. in, a, in a strange way. Um, uh, and then I, but I would say then I think it's really great if you can go, I attended tons of informal or formal workshops, day-long seminars about the publishing business. I read, of course, you know, every book there was out there about how to find, um, you know, how how to write a query letter, you know, all of that stuff. I really did a lot of homework around that stuff. And, um, and so I think it's really great if you can fall in with some kind of writer writing community or, or to attend conferences, for example. And, uh, of course, it does not take the place of doing the work. Mm-hmm. But I think some part of your time as a writer has to be invested in your professional or business profile. So um, I did do a lot of that. And I recommend that mm-hmm. to, to people starting out for sure. So when you said you were writing these articles for the newspapers, were these op-ed pieces? They were, you know, they were written for um, the magazine sections of Sunday papers. Okay. So the Chronicle used to have one. They don't have it anymore. The Washington Post, I think they still publish some of these. These were first-person personal essays. Nowadays, I think if I was starting out now, I would probably be pitching to online publications. Okay. I think just a lot, a lot of opportunity has shifted mm-hmm. to that area. One of the, one of the unfortunate um, results of that is I think writers are paid much less than they were. I think you, you're paid much less for an online piece than you are, than you were at least, <laughs> you know, <laughs> five or seven years ago um, for a print, mm-hmm. for a print piece. Yeah. Um, but, but, but there are a lot of opportunities. There are, you know, there's just the internet has a voracious appetite for new content, and um, and you might not make money, but I think you can quickly, you can quickly get credits. You can you can you can have the thing that I think is really important is that shifting from just writing for for yourself to writing for an audience. So 
if you're writing online, I think you are making that transition. You're not just writing for yourself. You're really writing for a reader now, and that's a different game. Um, so I think even if you're not necessarily making lots of money when you start out on some of these online uh, online platforms, um, it will help you. It will help you develop your your you know your professional um, muscles. It will help you. Um, it will help you shift over to thinking what, what, what is interesting for a reader here? You know, not just what do I need to get out, you know, because it feels like wonderful release, but mm -hmm. what, what, what's the part of the story here that can be helpful to somebody, you know? Um, so it can help you shape your work quite a lot. And then the thing that I did, which I, which I would say was really helped me a lot is that even if I started somewhere modest, I mean, I let that then inspire me to just go to the next, you know, just a notch up, you know? Um, so with every credit, I felt like I was, you know, the next time around I was placing things in just a little bit better. I didn't start off <laughs> placing things in the New York mm -hmm. times that took, you know, it took three or four years. It, it took, it took a while mm -hmm. to get, to get, to get to that point, you know? Um, but I think, if you start off and you, you think you're going to be in the Times right away or in the New Yorker right away or the Parish Review and you get that rejection letter, it really hurts. <laughs> so, you know, better. The first thing I ever published was a, per, a little personal essay about cooking, about um, Persian cooking in our local county circular. It's a free paper. I got paid $150. And I will tell you, that was the best $150 I ever made. You know, it was amazing to see my, my work in print. Right. Um, so anyway, these, these, these things are just keeping morale up. It's really important. So maybe start a little modestly, right. You know, start, start somewhere where maybe they're not paying you that much, but, but then always have in mind, well, what's, what's the next place that's just gonna, just gonna get me just a little bit further along. Right. And so you were writing these these articles as you were writing The the Good Daughter in, in, in Tangent? Many of them I wrote before. And then once once that book came out, there was a lot of, um, it, I got a lot of advice that I needed to, to place pieces in newspapers. That becomes part of the uh, publicity for a book, these mm -hmm. shorter pieces. Um, so some of them were drawn pretty closely from the book or from topics that came up in the book. Others of them, you know, were more tangentially. Some of them might've been stories that didn't fit into, into the book, but were still, there was something still interesting to me about them. And so I was able to repurpose them and turn them into shorter pieces that I placed. Got it. So how long did it take then to, from the time you started writing the good doctor t daughter to it getting published? <laughs> Um, let's see, I, with nonfiction, you can sell a book on a proposal, which is what I did. Okay. And it, I worked for about six months on the proposal, which is, that's a lot of time to be spending, but it helped me really work out the story so that when I got started, I knew where I was going. And that was six months. And then the book sold on a partial, which means I had only written the proposal and 70 pages of it. And it sold, and then I had a year to finish it. It was really great having a deadline that will get you 
going like nothing else you know that's really one of the great things about publishing you know it's it's also it can also be frustrating because you might you might sell it for less than than you would on a with a full manuscript or you know you you don't you don't have full control because you're now you're working with an editor who might have a certain vision of the book all of that but I found it really fantastic I I felt really supported and you know really really galvanized by by the editor um who was working with me on The Good Daughter. And then, so I, I had a year to, to finish the book. And then we spent roughly six or eight months editing it. And then it takes a long time from the moment that you, you, you submit that last, last version, copy edited everything. It takes about a year for a book to come out. So from the very last version that you produce, a year before, longer maybe, a year and a half until it actually is released. And when it re- when is when it's released can have a lot to do with if you're a younger, you know, just a debut writer. Let's say they're not going to have your book come out in the fall. That's where all the sort of the heavy hitters. That's when you know Philip Roth, will put, you know, Toni Morrison, all those <laughs> those authors. So you don't want to put a young writer up against. So it's just all to say that there are many factors that come into deciding what, when to release a book, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes they might rush it. If a book is, you know, for some reason it's something, you know, is happening in the news and they have a book that, you know, is, is somewhere down the pipeline, they might rush it, but pretty much publishing traditional publishing is pretty slow. It takes a long time. Mm -hmm. That's a virtue, I suppose, in the self-publishing world. You know, you can get things out right away, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, almost immediately, right? But I think that's also a peril. I think there is something to be said about, you know, that slow process. And maybe this isn't the, the, the friendliest way to put it, but publishers have been like gatekeepers. It, they're very invested mm-hmm. in, in the success of the book, you know. And they will not let a book go out until they feel that it's ready, you know, and that might be long after a writer, (laughs) it feels that she's done, you know. Um, I mean, I went through, I had three separate copy editors go through my book three separate times. And I was not happy about that you know it was I was so ready to be done you know but there there yet there is another thing you know and here's another thing you know and um and so they're very everyone I have encountered in publishing really without any exception has been exceedingly professional they're um, very hardworking. every editor I've worked with has been um just so so sharp and um and I can't just can't imagine doing that work alone. Mm-hmm. I couldn't have. I couldn't have. So there are some. I I don't know all that much about self publishing, but there are a lot of opportunities out there. Um, I think if you can go with an outfit that has, absolutely. I think it needs to be. It needs to to be edited by somebody, and um, and I would. I would want if I were putting money down, which you'd have to do with publishing your own work, I mean, I would, 
put a lot of money into, or as much as I could into a really rigorous, there are different levels of editing. There's, um, there, there's a sort of, there's editing, which is more conceptual. You're looking at bigger picture issues, but also once that person has come in to have somebody very rigorously copy edit your work, Mm -hmm. you'd be surprised maybe, (laughs) but what people can find in the 11th hour in even a manuscript you, you have read 27,000 times, you know, there's still errors. Yeah. So you mentioned, yeah, you mentioned put a lot of money down. What do you mean by, I guess I missed, I've never heard that. So the writer themselves have to put the money down to the publisher that they'll finish. Well, with self, there, there are different models now, but self-publishing has been, um, it started off with writers, Essentially, you're the one who takes the financial responsibility. Oh, okay. Self-publishing, right? Okay. I thought you meant publishing. Publisher. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like, and oh, and you know, no, 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 no. They've got you know they have their own you know fantastic copy editors and design people and all of that. And um, no, I mean, there's a lot that I I don't even know what what all they're doing, but they're working really hard. Okay. So last question. So the good mm-hmm. daughter, I mean, made the New York times bestseller list and obviously it was an amazing book. It was interesting. It had a great story. Um, it was, it was different from a lot of the other books that usually come out of the United States, but I guess what else does it take to hit the New York times bestseller list? So much of it is just luck. Mm. You know, I would hate to have a book coming out right now because I think people are, you know, really riveted and, you know, uh, rightly, you know, outraged about the political situation. And if I had a book coming out in November, I would be really distressed right now, you know? So a lot of it is just out of your control. What's happening, uh, what's happening in that moment, you know? Um, and I, I just, I think give it, give it the time it needs. I mean, you don't just as you shouldn't now I'm going to, it's almost like a Zen cone. Don't wait, but also don't rush it. <laughs> you know, I mean, get to work now, but make it the best book it can be. You know, I think probably where people trip up the most and get discouraged the most is when they send out work too early. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So for whatever it's worth, don't wait, but (laughs) but don't hurry. But do do you think, or not do you think, is it part of the, is it part of getting on the list? Like, um, doing all that publicity that you talked about, like writing. oh, so so you mean even just like what what's what are the mechanics mm-hmm. behind getting what's the procedure? Yeah. Uh, media media counts for a lot. Okay. Uh, a lot of that is just um, you know, I I know that that the New York Times place was directly related to um, an NPR interview I did early, you know, maybe a couple weeks after the book was out. Sadly, I mean, a lot of those outlets don't exist and the writer writers are fighting so fiercely. There's so much competition now for, for arts coverage, um, for those kinds of, so it's really, really hard. And I don't think anyone's like 
you know, quite figured out. If you're not that chosen, you know, I think every publishing house has maybe, I know, they have a certain number of authors that they're really banking on. They're putting a lot of money into advertising and, you know, really pushing publicity, trying to get them the most plum spots, you know. But that leaves a whole lot of other people, you know, trying to figure out. Like, how, how do you even get people to know your work? You know, know that you have work out there. Yeah. Um, no one, I don't know that anybody, I don't know the answer to that. You know, I, I really don't. It's, it's really, it's so much harder to be a writer. Even, you know, even the experience I had seven years ago, publishing my memoir, things are much harder now. Um, you would not think in the, great scheme of things that was a that's such a very long time um but things have really um changed quite a lot in that in that interval of time so actually i know i said last question but just a follow-up real quick mm-hmm. so how old were you when your first book got published i'm so old that it's taking me a long time <laughs> to do the math and i don't I ask that you 30. give a range you don't have to give me the exact no, age. i don't know i was mid-30s mid-30s i think i was 30 35 mid-30s okay okay because I feel like a lot of people sometimes think on their creative journeys they're too old to do things no this is wrong (laughs) (laughs) this is wrong you know and I I teach and I have some students who at 23 are you know they're just fabulous and absolutely they should start sending stuff out but for most people I would say I don't know maybe particularly if you're writing nonfiction, if you're writing memoir personal essay I mean that perspective you need and the sort of the richness of experience is so invaluable. Um, I find that if I'm, you know, I'm reading an essay, sometimes when my undergrads will write personal essays, it's just sort of, it's so thin, you know, what comes out on the page is just very thin and Mm -hmm. doesn't, it just, it's, they haven't lived a life, you know, and you can tell it comes out in, in what they're writing. So no, not only do I not believe that you <laughs> that it's all over if you have it <laughs> published, um, but uh, I I think that if you are reading and you're finding a community and you're honing the instrument that is your mind and uh, you know write writing with a regular you know practice, I think you're only going to get better. Until you get much worse, <laughs> which is why, you know, some so like Philip, I don't know, some, some authors just, they find themselves at a certain point, maybe they don't find they, they have the same mental agility, you know, but there's mm-hmm. a huge amount of time, there's a lot of time, you know, and I, by no means, is it over for you if you haven't made it in your 20s, or your 30s, there's definitely um, a lot of opportunity there. That. Well, that's good to hear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jasmine, if our listeners wanted to connect with you, where they could, where could they find you online? Sure. I'm on Facebook. I'm, you can write to me at jasmindarsnick at gmail.com, Instagram. It's hard for me to not be found. <laughs> so, so I'm, you can find me easily and I'm super happy to, um, to correspond with anybody who's got, you know, questions, wants some advice, uh, all that. It's a total pleasure. Awesome. This has been such a pleasure. You've dropped so much knowledge today. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for what you do. 
Hey, before you hit pause, did you find this episode helpful and enjoyable? If so, could you leave an Apple podcast, aka iTunes review? It'll take you less than one minute and mean the world to me. The more ratings and reviews the show gets, the more people are able to find this podcast. If you're unsure how to leave a review, no worries. If you're on your iPhone or iPad, go to the homepage of this show and scroll down to write a review. Click on it and you'll be able to rate and review the show. If you're on a Mac from iTunes, go to the show homepage and on the top, click ratings and reviews. Also, please subscribe to get the latest episodes once they drop. If you enjoy the episode and know someone who would love it, please share. From your iPhone, click on the icon with three dots and then share via social media, email or text. If you want to hear more, head over to funnybrowngirl.com forward slash podcast. You can also find me online. I'm on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Funny Brown Girl. Also, sign up for my free newsletter for more tips to advance your creative journey at funnybrowngirl.com forward slash subscribe. And again, if you enjoyed the show, do me a favor and subscribe, rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Now, go flex your creative muscle and keep winning. Thank you for listening. See you next week. <laughs>